Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the... OG version, the 230th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And we got a treat of a show for everyone tonight. Uh, a little bit of an international flavor, which is fun all by itself. But also, uh, not everybody knows this, Jeff, but this show was started by you and I um back in the day and we named it together which was super clever i mean such a clever name and we started on some really crappy software that half the time didn't work <laughs> and then we made a really odd decision to add the personalities of of evan and nathan to the show and it's kind of been all blur since then, but that, that is Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. What's going on, dude. Not too much, man. You, you got in my head last week. Um, I was on the show. I actually like went back and I picked Seattle to win 31 20. I was all confident and I couldn't get your comments out of my head about like, okay, everything's going too well. This is going to be the game where things spiral. 
And when Gino threw that pick, I was like, I went to that dark place I haven't been all year. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, damn it, Brian was right. This is the week where things unravel finally. And man, every week with this team is crazy. It's so true. I, a big part of it is that it's just been too much goodness, and I don't trust it. Like when the Seahawks were the 2012, 2013 team, I had seen it block by block get built up. I knew, like, I had no doubts who Richard Sherman was, or Earl Thomas, or Cam Chancellor, or KJ Wright, or, you know, on and on and on. Like, I kind of knew those guys, what they were, who they were. And if you just kept adding more talent around them, I was like, okay. I went into the 2013 season pretty certain we were going to win a Super Bowl. Like, and even with all the things that happened, injuries and suspensions that a lot of people forgot about, I was like, this team is the best team. Our current version of the Seahawks, like everything's pretty much a surprise. How many, how many things can you say, I know for sure what you're going to get from them week in, week out? It's crazy because like, yeah, like what are the odds of Gino hitting and then your first six draft picks hitting? And usually there's like a, a low little of a development period. They're all hitting in the first half of the year. But not only that, like I was thinking about this the other day, you got Ryan Neal now, like playing like an all pro player and guys like that. And Ryan Austin Blythe is like a very good center. And they're just, they're hitting so much at once. It's pretty absurd how many things have just kind of gone right for them at once. Like I can't remember any other team where this much, like when you got Ryan Neal playing like an all pro who started the year behind Josh Jones, <laughs> that's just crazy. Bruce Irvin comes off the street is throwing guys into each other. It's like, it's crazy what's going on right now. Yeah. I mean, like Ryan Neal is a great example. Do you, do you trust that Ryan Neal is going to continue to play like an all pro? No, but no, but I don't, I don't know. I would every week I've been, I was expecting Gino to come back to reality and every week you stack it on something he hasn't done the week before. So who knows, man? This is making me question everything. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been kind of bracing for the game where the offensive line, the rookies start, you know, looking like rookies. I thought the first Arizona game was their roughest game by far. But, I mean, they've faced the likes of Khalil Mack at this point. They faced the likes of Cam Jordan, and and they seem to be holding up. And so I'm starting to trust them more, I think, I looked at PFF this morning. I think the Seahawks pass block grade as a team is 12th best in the NFL, which I can't remember the last time nine games into a season, a Seahawks team was top 15 in, in pass block rank. And the secondary secondary is probably the one part of the team that's been pretty consistent all year they've had some rough spells but you know Tariq Wool and I really thought this was going to be the week where it's like okay you know maybe a tough tough week for him and yeah he gave up the touchdown to the tight end whatever but he way exceeded my expectations so yeah. like that's one of the, like the things that makes the season so cool is is it kind of puts all your assumptions like put like, you know, on their ear. Like I, you can't, 
you can't just go into this game and say, yep, this is what's going to happen, or this is the type of team that the Seahawks can beat, or the type of team, because I think we're all just getting to know them still. And it's, it's just crazy how many there are. Like Mike Jackson was a guy you liked at the end of the year last year, and he's been like an unsung hero of this team. And like, he recovers two fumbles in the first game, and he's getting better in coverage. And there's just guys all over the roster now. And Nuosu is playing at like a Pro Bowl level. And you just, it's not a couple guys. It's just what makes the CF so good right now is we've all said for years what happens when the offense and defense hit at the same time. And really, we've seen it four games in a row. And they've won 10 plus points. And like, I just remember the last years where if you read our chat, it was so negative. And how come the Seahawks can't play a game where they blow a team out or where they have to come down to the last drive in the fourth quarter? And if you watch the Denver Jacksonville game a couple of weeks ago, I hate to keep going back to this, but that Thanks, was Seth. every Seahawks game in the last five years where Russell does something stupid and they should be losing by 10 points, but they're in the game somehow because of the defense or because of something else. And Russell pulls out a drive at the end. And you're sweating for 55 minutes and they win. And you're like, what the hell was that? Like that was every game in the last four years where we, we were fighting and we hated it. And you've talked about this so well in your articles. And you watch these games now with this complete team that's playing complimentary football and they're winning the way we've wanted them to win. It's not just like the passing or not running, whatever that it's just, they take over these games and like the three drives after the interception this week are a great example. Like when was the last time we saw something like that? It's, it was so like, they kicked their ass. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, you bring up the, that game, uh, the, the Russ game in, in London, I guess. And now that we have a little bit of space between and have seen you know time w- without him and versus with him. How much of, I mean, it, it was everybody pretty much attributed that game script that we used to see to Pete. It was like ah, Pete's like he is too conservative and he's trying to keep the game close and you know blah blah blah. Like, how much of it do you think was Pete? How much do you think it was Russ? Like. What's your assessment? I think the majority of it was Russ and how he plays. And I don't think it was Pete, but I think it was how their roster was built. I think their team just became dependent on one player. And I know we'll say it's Russ, but that was my criticism of the team, that there wasn't enough elements of the team that you can win in different ways. And we've for the years, me and you have been talking about how crappy their defensive personnel was. Everyone said, like, Russ should be in the Super Bowl. And I'm looking at this roster, I'm like, they got Trey Flowers and guys like that starting playoff games and Joey Hunt. I'm like, this is so you look back and I think a lot of it was Russ and just he's a feast or famine player and watching how Gino plays. He's not like some of the things he does are not better than Russ, but he is more complete. He's more repeatable. And I think a lot of it was Russ. And again, Pete would definitely contribute in certain ways, like the game management that the way that you kept things close and he kind of built the offense that was kind of built to play that way. But I think we're just seeing the, the exact kind of games that we see go to Denver and how Seattle's winning. I think the evidence is becoming very, very clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's fun. I think, I think a lot of people are like, 
I don't need to take victory laps over, you know, guys that aren't on the team anymore. I don't see it that way. Like I don't, at this point, I'm just pretty joyful that we get to watch the brand of football that we're getting to watch. Like, yeah, I, I like seeing the way that the offense is coming together. I like the variability of it. I like the intelligence of it and the defense. I can't say I've got my head around yet. Like, there's parts that I really like, but I also, like we've talked about, there's just, there's, there's not a lot of pro bowl level play in the front seven. And it's hard to have like elite level defense be sustainable when you don't have a, a guy that, or two guys that really force an offense to account for them. And like Jordan Brooks leads the NFL in tackles. I don't know that like offenses are game planning like heavily to work around Jordan Brooks. Like we got to figure out where he is and, and, you know, neutralize him as much as Uchenna Nuosu has been playing really well. I don't know that he's a guy that everyone's like, Oh, we got to We got to send a double team his way. Uh, don't, don't think we, we can't leave our tackle on an Island with him. I just don't think we have any of those guys at any, like, at any position in the front seven. And so it's been awesome to watch them play well, but I also am kind of like, is that, is that who they're going to be now? Like, I, I just don't trust it yet. I want to trust it, but and every game helps, but I'm not quite there yet on the front seven. That's understandable. If you look at this four game stretch, they played Arizona twice, the giants twice. I mean, the giants and the chargers missing basically all their receivers. So we haven't really seen them go up against like an elite group of skill guys. Or, and those are usually the kind of teams and like Justin Herbert's a good quarterback and Kyler Murray's a tough quarterback to defend. But I think if we're, we're starting to think of now their playoff ceiling, I think that's a reasonable thought because if you watch the playoffs last year, it was those guys in the front. Like if you watch the Titans chiefs the other night, the Titans have these guys in the front of their defense that are the kind of blue chip players. And even with a quarterback that threw five passes for the whole game, the Titans were able to stay in the game because of guys like that. And mm-hmm. I think that's totally fair. I, I think what the Seahawks do have is just, you see the value of coaching. You see the value of the, like their group working together and how, how solid their secondary has been. Like Ryan Neal, again, has been playing out of his mind. Woolen and Kobe Bryant's getting a lot better. But it's like, I was thinking like if, if Jamal was healthy, like this team would be really, really interesting right now. But I think that's a great point. Yeah. Like, but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. They don't have, like, when they play San Francisco next and they play the Chiefs, I think that's going to be really interesting because San Francisco has those weapons everywhere. And you kind of needed it. We saw it a couple of years ago with Clowney in that game against them when they just had the clear talent advantage of what Clowney was able to do. That, that was the best game of his career. We, we never saw him get close to that level since, even on, like, four other teams. But you're right. And that's really the really flaw of probably – Honestly, what probably takes this team away from having Super Bowl aspirations, which is crazy to talk about. But I was listening to a podcast this week with Colin Coward and a guy who used to be an NFL scout, and they are saying basically, like, if Seattle hits their draft next year, that's a Super Bowl roster. And I, I thought this was going to take a multi-year project where they have to get a quarterback. And really, that's all they're missing. They need those kind of blue-chip defensive guys because Woolen looks like one in the back end. Yep. Yeah, I think um, 
Uh, reading Garth Knight in the uh, chat. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, he says he's the biggest Russ apologist there is, but he wagered $300 on the Hawks money line this morning. So uh, uh, good luck, Garth. We talk about this kind of abstractly with the Seahawks are a Super Bowl contender or they're not, or they're a play for a while. It was like, are they a playoff contender or not? We've moved on from that because clearly they are. I think the latest uh, odds from football outsiders is like 89% that the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs, which is just absurd. But let's talk specifics for a second. Like what would keep the Seahawks like think about the Seahawks versus the top contenders in the NFC Eagles. Let's start there. Like let's assume it's played in Philadelphia. What do you think? Like, what do you think Philadelphia does that would give Seattle a lot of trouble? Or how do you, how do you think they match up? Let me, let me, let me put it neutral. How do you think they match up with the Eagles? What the Eagles do so well is their their offensive line gives them the ability to run their offense at a level that just other teams don't have right now. Seattle had trouble up front at the beginning of the year. So that Al Woods has been really good lately. And I know they're getting more, a lot more pressure from the interior guys since they kind of switched their scheme. But if it was one of those games where the offensive line just totally won up front, and then you have Hertz with those two receivers, it's a really hard defense. Their, their, their speed and their size is really challenging. But if you look at just like, what Woolen does now when you have these number one receivers and you saw what he did to Hopkins, it really just changes how you look at these matchups, but it's really, that's the game where you would really want one of those pass rushers and really want one of those, like you talk about all the time, one of those defensive tackles that could kind of disrupt Jalen hurts and kind of get around with them because their speed and their ability to move people around, which opens up the play action game. It really starts for them up front. Cause the rest of the, like, if you look at the rest of it, like I think Seattle could do well against that defense the way they play offense it's so sustainable and it's so wide ranging and i don't think they have one of those pass rushers that would like blow through this defensive line i mean the offensive line which is not the best run blocking group but they're just they're sound everywhere so i really i think it's just that line of scrimmage stuff yeah i think the thing i think about with the eagles is really they've got the best cornerback duo in the league right now with Slay and Bradbury. Both of those guys are in the top five in terms of passer rating allowed. Um, they're playing great ball. So I think they'd make life really tough on Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And I think teams that can do that will give the Seahawks trouble. Um, I do wonder though, you know, Seahawks with, you know, we've talked about when the, when the receivers kind of get slowed down, then they go to the tight ends more and now you've got Kenneth Walker. And so it's not clear to me that all of a sudden that there's, there's no chance for the Seahawks offense to put something together. I do look at the Eagles and I'm like, all right, they got some things to slow down the, the Seahawks passing game. And um, offensively Hertz is a handful. I mean, he can run, he can throw so, and they've got those two great receivers. So, I see, I see that, and I, I think it would make sense that they'd be favored. I don't see, like, it's not like one of those games where I'd be like, oh, man, the Seahawks would have no chance in that game if they played right now. It's not, and also, I will say, the Eagles are not going to play anyone between now and then that's any good. They're, they've got the easiest schedule. They might win every game. They might lose one or two games at most. Like, I've seen teams like that that get in the playoffs and then they play good teams on games that matter. And all of a sudden things, 
things are different. So I don't know, like Eagles, I give the Eagles the, the definitely the nod, especially because they'd have home field. I go to the Vikings who are the next team. I think they've got one loss or something. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Jefferson's good. Do I think that he would just beat us the way Hopkins couldn't? No. Um, I think their defense is solid. Maybe I'm just cocky because we've always beat the the Vikings in the playoffs, but I'm not a huge Kirk Cousins guy. So, like, I don't look at the Vikings and say, ah, the Seahawks would have struggled. Like, what if the Eagles lost and the Seahawks ended up playing the Vikings at home in Seattle? Would you feel like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't yeah, feel like Seattle's I've watched a lot of Vikings this year. Uh, one of my buddies who comes over every Sunday is a Vikings fan, so we usually watch that in the first set of games. I think the Seahawks are outright better than the Vikings. The Vikings have had the strangest season I can remember a team having. They basically every single game, and I've watched, I think, every one of their games, they've sucked for 65% of the game. And then somehow in the fourth quarter, they pulled this game out of the like last week. They were down 17 7 to Washington's backup quarterback. And he throws this stupid pick at the end of the game. It was sort of like Seattle a couple of years ago, where they kept winning these stupid games with Russell Wilson. It was, I think they were like eight and one, eight and two to start the year, and then all of a sudden the clock, the clock struck zero and came back to reality. I think that's what the Vikings are. The Vikings have talent; they're a good team, they're well coached, but I don't think they're close to as good as the Seahawks are in terms of a complete team. And I would trust this defense against Kirk Cousins, and really, they don't have a lot that would scare me. So, I mean, who else is there? Um, I think Dallas would be hard for them. Dallas. Dallas is the other one to talk about. Uh, you've always been a fan of, of the way that team's coming together. How do you think the Seahawks match up against Dallas? Yeah, I, th- I think the way Dan Quinn, he's probably the most respected assistant coach in the league right now because of the adjustments he's made coming out of the mistakes he made in Atlanta, just sticking with one scheme. And then he lands Micah Parsons. And I think just the way Micah Parsons plays – can disrupt an entire offense. And that's the kind of guy exactly what you're talking about. He's the kind of guy who can win a game by himself. So I don't have the most respect for Dallas's offense. Like they don't have great receivers outside of CD lamb. The running backs are, are good when Tony Pollard gets the ball. I'm not, I'm not the biggest Dak Prescott guy. I know a lot of the analytical types are, I see him as pretty average. And frankly, I don't think he's that special of a player, but it's the defense that would scare me. And the way Parsons and some of the other guys can disrupt and the way Quinn's been using them and how creative, I think Seattle's offensive line might show their age in a situation like that. That would worry me a little bit. I think that would be a tougher matchup than say Minnesota. But again, I don't think there's that big of a gap. Yeah. I definitely think I would agree with you that Dallas is a tougher matchup than Minnesota. (laughs) And there's folks in chat. Um, excuse me, I'm trying to not blow my nose on on uh, on the show. But uh, there's folks in chat saying, "Why are we talking about the playoffs? Are like only nine games into the season?" Because yeah. we can. Because we can. Because the team's given us that opportunity to do it. And even if if the season falls off, falls on its face from here on out, I'm not going to wait until that happens to be able to have some fun and enjoy what's going on. And I recommend other folks do that too. I've had this conversation with fans for years and I get it. Like I've, I've definitely tried to protect my self or I used to be superstitious or all that kind of stuff. But like, if you 
are if your team's doing well and you're like, ah, I don't want to like buy into it until they do this or that. I want I don't want to like let myself get hopeful because then I'll be disappointed. I think you just miss a huge chance to actually enjoy what the heck's going on. Like, why not like just buy in and start talking Super Bowl right now? Why not just assume it's going to be great? Uh, If you look at the odds, they're saying one thing. I got the standings up here. And there's basically the seven teams make the playoffs in the NFC now. After the seventh team, which right now is San Francisco, the next teams are Atlanta at four and five. Washington at four and five, the Rams at three and five, Green Bay at three and six. So are any of those teams going to gain three games on Seattle in the next eight weeks of three and six? That would take a pretty like epic turnaround, from, not only from Seattle, from one of those teams. So I don't think it's absurd to talk playoffs at all. Like, it's very hard to imagine them not making it given who how bad the NFC is. Yeah. Well, I mean – you know, if you really want to tempt the fates, which I'm sure everyone doesn't want me to do, but if you look at the Seahawks schedule right now, um, and I pull up what we've got in front of us, we're obviously going to talk about the Bucks here in just a second. We'll have to talk about patron questions, but the schedule ahead is, you know, they're they're in Germany for Tampa Bay. And then they're home against Las Vegas. They're at the Rams. They're home against Carolina. They're home against San Francisco. I mean, I think logically they should win all of those games. The San Francisco game is certainly a question, but it's at home on a Thursday night, short week for San Francisco. So, like, you get all the way to at Kansas City. Um and then you've got after the Kansas City game, you've got home against the Jets, who are good, and then home against the Rams. So like the rest of the season, the only games you're like, whoa, those are like those could give the Seahawks some trouble are San Francisco and Kansas City. You could say the Rams, but I'm not sure I believe it. And so the Seahawks could end up winning what do they have? Six wins now? Yeah. I don't think it's out of the question at all that they could win 11, 12 games. Like, I think that's possible. Yeah. If they do, I mean, that's basically if they beat Tampa, Vegas, Carolina, and win, you know, one against the Rams and maybe the Jets game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not out of line at all. That's, that's why. Like, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. You look at these next four games. Like, there's a lot. There's a very real scenario. They win all four. And I think one right now looks like the floor. Right. So, if they – let's say they win all four, you're sitting at 10 and three at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And and that's if you win win all four. And at that point, you know, then you've got – the the 49ers coming in to just a hornet's nest on a Thursday night. So yeah, I guess I just look at this and and think this is a situation where we should be talking about like what is the ceiling? And that's just one of the things that occurred to me this week because we've been kind of saying, yeah, they are or they aren't. And I'm like, 
we're going to get a good view when we go to Kansas City, play a 10 a.m. game. We'll find the ceiling between that San Francisco game on a Thursday night and then at Kansas City. I think those games are going to tell us a lot about this team. And I think how they play against the Rams, who have been a thorn in their side. But this year, I think the Seahawks should win both of those games. You know, it's interesting. We talked about like 2011, and I know you've mentioned 2003. In the 2005 year, they kind of had that kind of slow start. It was like, oh, same old Seahawks. Nothing's changed. And then they went on this – I think they were 2-2 two and two and ended up at 13-3. and three. They went on this similar run. And that year, it was the Rams that beat them every year. And then they finally beat the Rams twice that year in those crazy games. Maybe this is 2005. Who knows? But <laughs> it's just uh, – come back with the Rams. It's going to be so telling to see if it, how they do against McVay and the Rams this year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a rough year for McVeigh and for the McVeigh truthers out there. Hey, let's go ahead and take some patron questions. Um, and then we'll talk about the bucks. Uh, what I will ask is folks, if you haven't already hit the like button, please do take some moment. We'd really appreciate it. We are over 8,000 subscribers. We'd love to see you add yourself, click subscribe, click the bell to get notified. And then of course, go to patreon.com slash Join what is now hundreds of patrons and a, a really great community of fun, uh, friendly people, talking hawks with all the weird stuff going on in Twitter <laughs> right now. Uh, our Slack channel may be the best place to go to talk Seahawks and know that you're not talking to some weirdo <laughs> who's got a blue check mark next to their name. So uh, sign up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger, get immediate access to the Slack channel, and then uh, for what it's worth, for folks who are wondering, I've been waiting uh, on John and Tracy Schneider. Uh, they usually do our annual charity function, and that's where I make our donation every year. Uh, it's not looking like they're going to do that right now. And so I may be making our donation to a different charity, but that's going to be coming up here soon. And, you know, I'm still working out some details, but uh, we're about to make our charitable donation uh, for the year. So you can contribute to that by joining patreon.com slash hog blogger and you get to ask us questions every week so here we go jeff i'm going to give you the first one here it comes from silk he starts by saying this is a fun question i haven't read any of these so we're going to find out if, if he's actually right he says who from the roster do you think is most likely to have a memeable picture of them in later hosen a durnendal i don't know what that is from this trip so i'll start there who do you think on the roster is most likely to have a memeable picture in later Hosen? I'm going to go Will Disley. I, my immediate thought was, was Pete Carroll. He's not on the roster, but I mean, we've got to have CP in later Hosen, don't we? Or Michael Dixon or something. <laughs> yeah. He probably just wears them regularly. Uh, a football question from Silk. He's double dipping. Oh, wait, he's given three. We might have to come back to you, Silk. I'm going to go for the football question. Then we're going to move on. Um, he asks, which of our games so far do you expect Sunday to look like given Tampa Bay struggles this year? Um, or like, is there a game that we've played so far that you think will kind of resemble this game? I think the Giants. I think the Giants, mm. where they're a physical team. They have Vita Vey up front. They have some good linebackers, but they haven't been good against the run, as I learned today in your article. 
but the Bucks are not the explosive kind of offense that we're used to seeing. Like they don't have, they, they lost Gronk. They lost Antonio Brown. Chris Godwin's coming off surgery and he's not the same kind of quick runner. And Mike Evans got hurt and they've really had trouble sustaining drive. So I think it could be like a back and forth punchers kind of game before maybe Seattle's speed. And like the Bucks played Baltimore a couple of weeks ago in a Thursday night game. And it was sort of like that where it was back and forth. It was kind of a slog on both sides. And then Lamar Jackson got going and the running game got going and they really just pulled away and the Bucks didn't really score until the end of the game. This is just a different Bucks team. So I think the Giants game is probably better than some of the explosive games early and or even that Denver game. Who knows? Well, that's the one I was thinking of. At first, I thought Arizona because I just see like uh, the 19-9 game we had the first time kind of resembles, I think, what we could see with this one. But I think the the Denver game, you got an elite defense, which I think Tampa has as well, and you've got a pass-centric offense. And I think that's kind of what I'm expecting. Um, I think I, I we'll get into that a little bit more, but that's one that, that uh, shows up. Um, okay. Katie B, longtime listener, longtime patron. Hello, Katie. Um, she asks, will you guys continue on Twitter? If not, would you move to a different platform such as Mastodon? Football is pretty much the only reason I'm still on Twitter. I appreciate being able to follow all of you, but would be happy to follow you elsewhere. What are your Twitter plans? I'm kind of in like, I'm kind of lost right now because I, I, <laughs> I empathize with the question. I basically, the only reason I still use Twitter is for football to connect with all you. Uh, I live in a city where there's not a lot of Seahawks fans. I know. And just all like the videos and the information and the constant, that's pretty much are following the, for me, I use Twitter more for like the news and the videos and learning about football. Like I don't have a platform that I'm comfortable in that level. I don't use it for like chatting socially and I don't really care. Like I have the check mark. I'm not going to pay to keep that check mark. That doesn't bother me. So I don't, I don't know if you have an answer. I know you kind of explored some other ones, Brian, but I don't like Reddit. I don't have a place yeah. where I'm comfortable going for my football stuff right now. Yeah. I don't think there's a Twitter replacement. I, I don't believe that there is. And I, I'm fascinated about all the stuff going on there, both from a user perspective, but also as a, guy that's worked in technology his whole career and you've got like one of the leading social media platforms on the planet that's laid off like half its workforce and so i'm kind of just curious like is it going to keep running properly are we going to start seeing weird stuff show up like um anyway i'm curious about that but then i don't want to leave twitter i mean it's where i can go to have a conversation about football whenever i want I can get a, an eclectic mix of information, both about football and not about football. And I've just gotten used to consuming it. So it's like, it's kind of how I, it's like if someone, you know, in the matrix movies said like, yeah, the matrix isn't there anymore. Well, like, okay, then what am I supposed to do? So, um, anyway, I, I, I have no plans to leave Twitter until they close the doors and, who knows? Hopefully it doesn't get bad enough that we have to really consider that. But that's kind of where I'm at on that question. Uh, all right. Next question is from Braxton. Which Seahawks players do you think 
would be most <laughs> wasted after a few steins of German beer. Hmm. Who's one? I'd say Tyler Lockett. He's not. He's not a very big guy. Uh, he's probably very. Uh, doesn't seem like the biggest partier on the team. Probably more. He seems the most wholesome of the bunch. So I don't know if Tyler Lockett. If he had a few of those giant steins, I think it might get him a little giggly and a little uh, loopy. So I, I'm gonna go with him. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. Either him or like Dixon or Myers, probably. Yeah. Uh, all right. Rob Kinnear asks, where do you see Trey Brown fitting in the rotation when he returns, assuming that he's healthy? Does he start right away opposite Tariq? Do you try to work him into the slot? What do you do? I, I'm, I've been thinking about this one a lot. And frankly, I'm stumped. Like, how do you take Mike Jackson off the field right now unless he declines in his play? And like, I don't see how you, you can't just throw him in and say he's a starter, right? I think Mike Jackson's playing well enough. And maybe we'll, as they go up against some of the better offenses, maybe you'll see some more competition in practice. But I think Brown, I think the, the, the luxury right now is you can ease him in, you can get him up to speed. And if he starts playing, if you see a practice that he's better or he's outright better, maybe you can kind of do what they're doing with the guards right now and just kind of go back and forth and ease him in. But right now, it's hard to see where they even put him on the field because the three corners are all doing such a good job. If you had to take Mike Jackson or Kobe Bryant off the field, which one would you pick? Uh, probably Mike Jackson. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Kobe Bryant's rookie, got him under club control for three more years after this. I want to see him continue developing. He's also creating turnovers yeah. and – and I like Mike Jackson a lot. I like I like a lot of how he plays. I think Trey Brown's better. And yeah. so I would want to see him on the field. I don't need to see him on the field, but I would start rotating him with Mike Jackson for sure. Uh, okay, Rob has a second question. Where is one area this team could still realistically improve based off the talent they have on their roster? Early in the year, that it was improved tackling. You had mentioned explosive plays on offense in the post-game show. Is there one area that could really help them take that next step, or is it waiting until they can up the talent on the roster for next season? I love that question. I still think play on the edge, and that's not only rushing the passer, which you're seeing better as a whole, but I think it's kind of the, the limitation of this scheme is how they guard screens, how they guard running backs in space. There's been a couple of things where like mafe has been matched up against running backs, and it's been easy completions. So I think when you're going to have to play a Christian McCaffrey or something like that, I think this team does need better play on the edge to hit their ceiling. And nuosu has been really good on the one side, but they were hoping Daryl Taylor would be that guy. And now they're using Irvin, they're using Mafe. I think that's still a limitation, whether it's covering running backs, whether it's defending screens, and whether it's just generating pass rush consistently. Yeah, there's a few things that come to mind for me that I think could happen this year you know, without necessarily just upgrading talent in the off season. One is, uh, you know, Nathan, and I talked about this in the post game show and he sees it differently than I do. I, I don't have an issue with them from an explosive perspective. I think they've been a pretty explosive team on both running and passing, but what we have seen is they've increasingly been kind of forced is maybe too strong of a word, but like, funneled to 
longer drives with you know more plays and having to really kind of pick their their way down the field so one of the things i think could happen is we all have talked about cover two and how there's a lot of teams that started playing cover two against the seahawks when their passing game was so good and it took away the deep ball and it really struggled well what cover two often allows you to do is run the ball and so I think the Seahawks being able to consistently run teams out of either cover two, like where they have to bring a safety down and then opens up some more explosive plays is something I'd like to see. I, th- I think that I want to see this offense be able to get some chunk plays and and it's decreased lately. So I, it's not that I don't think they're capable of it, but I think they've got to start getting defenses out of position that 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 limits explosive plays and then on defense i mean there's a lot i could pick but like you mentioned screen game i still think you know we saw again a third and 14 or 16 that was converted on a screen play in in the in arizona you know that that's a play that particularly gives this team trouble i'd love to see them continue getting better about that i also have I guess I'd love to see the linebackers starting to make some plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. I still see too many plays from the linebackers past this line of scrimmage. I think the tackling's improved, but I would love to see some more tackles for loss from those guys and uh, some more impact plays. And I, I think that's possible this year, but but those are two things I'd, I'd call out. All right. Wow. We got a bunch of questions today, dude. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, Luke Allen asks, seeing as how productive Ryan Neal has been, would this defense be better or worse with Jamal Adams right now? It's a good question. I still think it would be a little better. As much as Neal is playing great and he's playing at a level that Adams really hasn't played in Seattle. But I think this scheme was really going to accentuate Jamal and his skill set and some of the things they could do playing him at inside linebacker and just a little how they can use. And then Neil could have been the third safety. So I think the, the, the way Jamal was going to be used was it was going to be used as a combination of him and Neil. And because Neil was hurt and he wasn't tackling at the beginning, it forced Josh Jones on the field. So you're still getting Neil with Josh Jones in a lot of snaps. Instead, you would have Adams and Neil. And that would really accentuate just the talent and the pass rushing and just the blue chip kind of explosive player. And I still think you would get Neil on the field a considerable amount. So Neil has been playing at all pro level the last four weeks, which is something we haven't said about Adams at any point in Seattle. But I think just still having Jamal in this defense with Clint Hurd and Desai and Carl Scott, they've done a really good job with development. I think that would have been a higher ceiling. Yeah, I think it's not a question. I know people want to hate on Jamal, and I, I get it. Who's the number one rated defensive player on this team still? Jamal Adams. He had an 87 grade in that one game he played. And the next closest on the Seahawks, you'll never guess. I'm going to give you like, oh, I'm not going to torture you. You'll never guess. Uh, Nick Ballore is our second-rated defender. Yep, we've never guessed. Nobody else is above 80. Even Ryan Neal is at 78.5, which is great. But Jamal Adams brings so much to the table, and this was the season we were going to actually get him see him get utilized in a way that accentuates his talents. 
And that was showing in that first game. He was making plays. And he also brings pass rush that Ryan Neal wasn't. I think if you had him from a blitzing standpoint to mix in with what is now an effective pass rush, come on. Like, there's no way the team isn't better with him available to them. And with Neal being uh, a third third safety that could pull Cody Barton off the field more often, all that would be better. Um, all right, we're going to take one more question because we got – a bunch of other things to do. So apologies that we didn't get to all of these. Uh, let me just pick carefully here. Um, ah, I like this question from PCC the third. When do you think Derek Young will replace quote, the look of fear D Eskridge? I don't know, man. The Eskridge is not doing much to, to earn more playing time. I think, like, game Mercer Keith Goodwin's been out, and Eskridge gets no catches. He's He had the one game where the first Arizona game, I thought I saw some things, but the next couple, you see attention to detail issues, and you see him just not separating on routes, and there's just not much to like right now about him other than his run blocking. I think his run blocking is really the only thing he's bringing to the table right now, so I still don't know if Derek Young is ready. He was a real project coming from a really small school and he's done some cool things on special teams and he has some explosive ability, athleticism, but I don't think it will happen quite yet, but man, Eskridge is not doing much to, <laughs> this has been an opportunity for him. They don't have a third receiver. Good ones out and outside of run blocking. There's just nothing there right now. Yeah. Ever since Pete talked about, Eskridge having the light go on in that Arizona game and that he's kind of like golden Tate. I don't know if he has a catch, like he's, he's just been nothing. And, and in my worst expectations, I didn't think he would be this ineffective. So it's, it's frustrating. And, and I actually, I do like Derek young he had some drops in the preseason that kind of soured me a little bit on him getting too much more time, but he's a big body. He's tough. He's a good blocker. He's a good runner. So I'd be, I'd be actually supportive of them starting to try to sprinkle him in and see if he could start being more of a factor by the end of the season. I lied. We're going to take one more question. Cause I really like this question from Chris Bailey. Um, he says, I'm going to take one specific part of this. He says, KJ Wright today said this defensive group may be ahead of where the LOB was when they first came on the scene. Do you expect them to have a statement game against Tom Brady similar to the You Mad Bro game? No way. No way. That team just has such different character and chip on their shoulder energy. And that was also peak Brady with Aaron Hernandez and Gronk and. If you watch Brady this year, it's a guy who looks like he doesn't want to be there. The fire isn't there on either side. That was Earl and Sherman making sure everyone knew who they were. Brandon Browner, Cam, but mostly Sherman and Earl. Woolen is not that kind of guy. Kobe Bryant is quiet. I, I don't see anything close to that. And it's just it's the vibes are just totally different from what that team was and what this team is now. Yeah. Yeah, it's not set up to be that kind of game, that kind of statement uh, in any way. But it is fun. It's a fun thought uh, that this is is a little bit of history uh, going on here again. And, and we'll see. We will see. So 
Thank you for all the patrons for all those questions. If you haven't already, click the like button. Head on over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and get access to the Slack channel by signing up. It's not, it's like five bucks a month if you want. And it's easy to get in. You get quick access and we'll take some of your questions next week. So Jeff, let's talk about this game against Tampa. Bucks are a weird team. So they... They have been lights out defensively, but they've also had some struggles in the last few weeks, but then they've had a bunch of injuries. They're missing Akeem Hicks. They were missing Carlton Davis. They're missing uh, Antoine Winfield. They're missing uh, Murphy Bunting and, and so on and so forth. And they got those guys back. At least Antoine Winfield, it looks like he's going to be back this week. I and I look at their offense and they pass the ball a ton. They don't pass it particularly well. And their running game is literally the worst running game in the whole NFL. And they, they've struggled to score almost any points. So I look at this team and I'm like, the Seahawks have beat better teams than the Bucks. Yeah. What what do you make of this matchup? Yeah, well, going into the year, I didn't think there was a chance the Seahawks would win this game. I remember seeing this come on the schedule and thinking, like, oh, God, we're going to get embarrassed. Got to wake up early in the morning to watch this. And the Bucs have been a totally different team than I thought they were and what they've looked like. If you remember when Brady won the Super Bowl, there was the whole Russell Wilson went on the radio thing. And one of the things about those teams, and they had – they were dominant offensive line. I remember what they did to the Chiefs in that Super Bowl. and that's what caused Brady to go on the radio and kind of explode. I mean, caused Wilson to go on the radio that this team has completely changed there. Their uh, left guard who was an all pro player retired out of the blue last year, Ali Marpet and their center who was like the top free agent on the market last year, Ryan Jensen, he got hurt in the first game of the year and he's been out the whole season. They've had other injuries there. to so their backups and now they have probably the worst left guard and center combination in the league. And if you know anything about Brady historically, when you beat him up the middle, he can't function well. And if you, you mentioned it before, without those two guys at left guard and center, they can't run the ball. Their tackles are pure pass blocking guys, similar to what Seattle has right now, not the best run blockers. And they suck at left guard and center. And all of a sudden, an offensive line, which was the core of their offense a few years ago, everyone saw the skill guys, whatever, it sucks. It might be one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And now all of a sudden, if you watch the Bucks play, there's more three and outs than I can ever remember. There's more passes being thrown into the ground. The running game is ineffective. Lenny Fournette got some money from them and he's getting benched right now in the middle of games. They just look slow. Like they don't have Antonio Brown. They lost Gronk, another big part of their offensive line. Gronk was probably the best tight end blocker I've ever seen. So you look at this team now and there's passes going into the ground and they kind of look like I heard Bill Simmons say this last week before the Rams game. They look like one of those old boxers that's fighting for money. And they're like going into the ring when they should, they should have retired. They just look awful offensively. And the defense you've seen, they, they lost to Tampa. They lost to Pittsburgh and Carolina back to back weeks to probably two of the worst offensive, worst quarterback teams and the whole team just looks off. Bruce Arians retired. They have a new coach. So all year, they, they almost lost six games in a row if they didn't pull that out of their ass in the last game. So yep. 
this is a team that I thought would be contending for the Super Bowl. I thought the NFC Brady's coming back, but they look a lot like the Rams have looked all year with the bad offensive line play. The passes not being a fat Brady had 53 passes last week to get to like 280 yards. Yep. So I think Seattle's speed and if Seattle can hold up at the line of scrimmage, I think their speed and their well-roundedness. And I think they have a huge coaching advantage and it's not the same Tom Brady we've seen. And maybe that game at the end, how they won at the end of the game, maybe that'll wake them up. But this Bucks team just looks sluggish every week since really the beginning of the year. Yeah. I think that the Bucks are probably the closest thing to a mirror image of the Seahawks that you could find. They started the season as Super Bowl favorites. They were really right behind the Bills as far as Super Bowl odds. Yeah. And they have the GOAT at quarterback, someone that everybody knows, everybody believes in, everybody thinks is great. And a bunch of other well-known players. And they are trash. They've just completely underperformed expectations to the point where they're, they're not one of the worst teams in the league, but they're, be- they're below average. They're below average in an NFC that's having a down season. For you to be like, it's one thing for you to fall off, Jeff, but for you to be a below 500 team in one of the worst NFCs we've ever witnessed means you're pretty bad. So, I mean, the Seahawks, I think it's really great. They're six and three. I don't think the Seahawks are that good. (laughs) Like they've done well, but I don't think like, you know, there's been past years where like old school 49ers, old school, you know, Cowboys, you know, pick different teams where there's some elite teams in the league, Green Bay, you know, anyway. So I think that's, the opposite of what we've seen from the Seahawks that were picked as like the third worst team in the league and is now one of the best teams in the league. Like they're fifth in DVOA rankings. They are sixth in Super Bowl odds right now. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. And they had an unknown quarterback who's now an MVP candidate. So I think they're the kind of mirror image of the Bucks. And We've talked a lot about Russell Wilson. I think the only guy that's in the running for having a worse year than Russell Wilson is Tom Brady. I mean, at least Russell Wilson still has Sierra. Like Tom Brady is divorced, you know, like off field stuff. He's lost a bunch of money. He retired and then came back and he's playing finally actually looking like a guy that should have retired. So I wouldn't say his legacy is tarnished, but he certainly is not going out on the same high level that he would have if he had retired. And the team around him looks like crap. So he literally lost his family over coming back and then playing like crap or not playing that well and his team playing like crap. Like, he's got to be hating it. He just has to be. I I can't imagine he's like, I can't wait to go to work every day. This is, I made such a good decision. And... If you watch the games, he looks like that. He looks miserable. And there's just some weird vibes going on where like you've heard for years how about how much Brady cares and the emphasis he puts in and the work he puts in and how he's willing to like lose his family over football. But this year, like there's been like Fridays and Saturdays before games, like he went to Robert Kraft's wedding and skipped the team meeting 
And he's like missing. He's what disappeared in training camp for 15 straight days. And no one ever explained why. And he had that half retirement thing. And if you look, he just doesn't seem checked. He's been checked out. It seems like it's got like Michael Jordan on the wizards vibes this year. And it just, the, the drive at the end of the game was the first time he looked like Tom Brady last week. But if you watch the first 59 minutes of that game, like they were unwatchably bad. And it's just, it's hard to count out Tom Brady. It's just, you've seen him do it time and time again. He did it at the end of the Rams game last week when they really, they should have lost. And if they lose that game, it's full tire fire. They're three and six. And we're talking about them being one of the worst teams in the league. And it's, it's just they they look yeah like like brian said the seahawks and them are just going exact opposite directions and like i'm a little worried that that driving in the game might have woke brady up when it might have woke up a sleeping giant but it's just hard to watch that offense every week and think like okay the light's gonna come on because they just don't have the personnel and they don't have brady's 45 years old at some point it had to slow down a little bit and his arm looks a little shot and his just He's not getting protection. It's just not there. Yeah. Yeah. On that front, I mean, one, I, the first time I saw Tom Brady this year, I was like, dude, is he sick? Is he okay? Like, he looks like he is someone's like sucking. Like, I think it's, it's almost like he made a deal with the devil and the de- devil's come back to get his his soul. Like, he just looks like someone who's being sucked from the inside out. He doesn't look like himself. And then, yeah, I guess I just, I have seen him throw the ball into the ground more often this year than any other year. Every game I tune in when I watch them, it is, he's, you know, he's having a problem throwing it too low, throwing it short. So I don't think he's, I don't think he's like incapable of playing game look he's put up hundreds of yards of passing per game he's still you know tom brady's brain like i don't think he's stopped being able to process or identify or find stuff but i think he's got some challenges for sure he has zero run game to take any pressure off of him so it's all on his shoulders and they've had some tight end issues like braid's been out for a while and mike evans got pretty hobbled in this game against the Rams. He looked like he was like gutting it out, but he did not look like himself. So if Evans is hurt in any way, like if, if he's not going to be hundred percent, I just kind of look at this offense and I'm like, the Seahawks have shut down much better than this of late. I actually am more concerns, not the right word, but I'm, I believe the bucks have a better matchup on defense against our offense than they do on offense against our defense, which is insane to say, but like assuming Antoine Winfield jr. Plays at safety, uh, Jamel Dean, Sean Murphy bunting and Carlton Davis. That is the best secondary. The Seahawks will have faced this year. I don't think it's that close. So, you know, I think that's going to be rough. And I think that they've got with Akeem Hicks coming back you know, with Vita Vea, um, you know, Levante David's pretty good. Devin White has his moments. I just think that it's a pretty good defense, and I think that they could give the Seahawks some trouble. I think scoring points could be rough on both teams. Yeah, I agree. A big thing for them is Shaq Barrett tore his Achilles a couple weeks ago. 
Yep. And he, he's been their best pass rusher the last few years. So they have the guy from UW as their other pass rusher. Joe Tryon. Joe Tryon. He's pretty good. He's an explosive player. But again, with Vita Vea, he, the weakness of the Seattle's offensive line is the interior run blocking. They can't handle like the big power players. So Blythe, that's Blythe. And I don't know if it's going to be J- uh, Haynes or Jackson, but that's a big matchup in this game. And their linebackers on paper are amazing. Levante David's just been, he's like Bobby Wagner and KJ. Like, he's been good for so long. Same draft class, I believe, as Bobby. Yep. But their other linebacker, Devin White, who's top five pick, who's one of the best players that, He's had a terrible season. And if you watch him in Baltimore, that he he was so bad in a lot of those plays that like Warren Sapp was calling him out just for like dogging it. And but they just have so much talent on defense. The corners are really good. Antoine Winfield's a really good safety. So yeah, I think by far defense has been an area where they can exploit Seattle because again, if Seattle's top two receivers can't get going, it really becomes a tight end game for them in the passing game. And Again, their linebackers are really, really good. So that's a really interesting matchup. And if Hicks comes back, and when they had, if you remember a couple of years ago when we played Tampa, you couldn't run on them. So Shoddy and them decided to pass the whole game. It was the right strategy. But Sue didn't sign back there, and Hicks has been banged up and not as effective. So you've been able to run the ball on them, which is a huge difference from what they were a few years ago where literally teams wouldn't even try to run because of how good those two defensive tackles were. So – it could be a big Kenneth Walker game. It's going to be a really important game for the line of scrimmage, but yeah, you're right. I, there's more issues I see defensive with their defense against the offense than I see on the other side of the ball, which is pretty hard to imagine. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head with the the running game piece. That is one weakness they've had. They're in the, you know, low twenties in terms of, I mean, they're 23rd in the NFL in rush yards against their 20th in yards per rush. They're 25th in red zone defense. They're 18th in third down defense. So those are all things I think the Seahawks can take advantage of. Look, I think if the Seahawks can limit their turnovers to one or fewer, then I think that they should win this game. I think if they if they just play a smart, complete game, similar to the game they played against the Giants, Although, I mean, obviously Tyler had that that fumble and drop, but otherwise it was a pretty clean game. I think if they play that game against the Bucs, I think they win by seven to ten points. If if they play just okay, I still think they win. Um, I think the, the situation where they lose is if either, you know, Brady has some other otherworldly game, somehow like goes back to the fountain of youth and and – everything starts clicking, which I don't expect, or, uh, you know, the Seahawks really make it easy on them. Special teams gives up some points. They shouldn't have offense gives them some points that they shouldn't have something like that. So why don't we go ahead and talk about our predictions here? What, what is your score? What do you, what do you think the final score of this game is going to be? I'm going to say 27, 20 bites for Seattle. 2720 for Seattle. That's a lot of points. I, I see this being a lower scoring game. I am going to say 20, 20 to 17 Seahawks. I think it's going to be a tight one. I, I do think the Seahawks are going to win this one. And 
I really hope they do, Jeff. Like it's going to be six thirty in the in the morning for me. It's going to be what nine thirty in the morning for you, right? Yeah. So you get to actually experience like a ten a.m. football game, like uh, <laughs> us West Coasters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm actually really looking forward to it. So I'm. I think that this is a game that it, like you you win this game, you get into the bye week, and the whole season opens up for you. So really really key matchup looking forward to seeing how the cx play as we started the show with one of the best parts is we have really no idea what to expect we have some guesses but all these guys they're taking their next step almost as if it's their first step every week so we get to kind of watch it unfold together Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in if you haven't already please give the show a like go over and click subscribe click the bell to get notified and go over to Patreon.com slash HawkBlogger. Sign up, get immediate access to our Slack channel. And whatever you're listening to uh, your podcasts on, please give us a five-star rating. We would appreciate the support and would love to get more people in the community. Makes it more fun. So that is how you can all help. So with that in mind, have a wonderful night, everybody. See you bright and early Sunday morning, and then we will do our post-game show soon after that game ends. If you are in Germany, have a great time, enjoy, and uh, as always, let's go Seahawks.